Hey, what's going on? Welcome to The Doug Show. This is Doug Cunnington. And in this episode, we're just going to chat a little bit. It's going to be a little bit of a meandering conversation with, uh, I guess, just myself. But I have a few topics that I want to cover. One of them is a question that was sent in. And I actually hear this one pretty often. So that's why I wanted to cover it. And it is, why do you create courses, Doug? Why don't you just keep doing uh, more of what you have been doing and don't teach anyone, right? So that's that's sort of the core of the question. I also want to talk about asking questions and finding answers. And I think actually a mastermind partner of mine, a good friend of mine from actually a few years ago, uh, she mentioned to me that I ask good questions. And this was in the scope and in the context of us taking a course together and I showed up for the office hours and this is a virtual online course uh, and I showed up for the office hours and I would ask like good insightful questions and it got the attention of the instructor and um, I was able to get you know great insights from asking good questions I didn't even realize it but I see um, the value in it um, for a few reasons. So I'm going to talk about asking good questions and also trying to find answers as well. And uh, like I said, we're going to meander a little bit. So I have another couple topics as well. And we'll see how long it goes because, um, you know, <laughs> sometimes it's going to be a short episode. Sometimes it's going to be a little bit longer. And sometimes you start a sentence and you just don't know where it's going or where it's going to end. Just, just like this one here. So let's get into the first sort of meaty thing, um, the question about creating courses. And this was actually sent in um, by a person who was interested in buying my course, enrolling in Five Figure Niche Site, which uh, that's a course where I show you start to finish how to create an Amazon affiliate site. And I usually try not to push it too hard. In fact, if uh, like if the course is out of your budget or something like that, I highly encourage you to just check out my free material on YouTube, this podcast, the Niche Site Project blog, and do some self-studying on your own. Go ahead and get started. And if it's something that you enjoy and you like and you want to you know, check out the course, that's great. Um, my general sort of assumption is if you start getting some traction, you will want to join the course and you'll actually have some revenue coming in to uh, either supplement the course cost or pay for the whole thing. So let's get started um, with this question. So I'll just read it to you as well. This may be the most uncomfortable question for you, but please don't take it personally. I just want to be sure about the decision I'm taking since there are a lot of courses and consulting offerings on the internet regarding uh, this particular, it says issue, but this particular you know pursuit, I guess. Why do you sell a course instead of building up this kind of site systematically and sell them like sort of a, an Amazon affiliate sites factory? I guess you would be making much more money with that business model. Now, I go, uh, actually, I, I commend myself. You know, I can pat myself on the back here since there's no one else to challenge me. I think I gave a pretty concise answer, which I'm going to tell you in a second, while giving a lot of background in multiple levels to this. So first off, this is, this is a wasted part of it, but it, this is a good question. It's valid. And I think when I first got started 
and I got started taking courses and stuff, I was wondering um, why people were spending time creating courses, right? So this is actually a good question. I had it myself. Now I don't really, I really don't really question that sort of thing, I guess. Um, Okay, so here's my answer. This is what I wrote back to this gentleman. Um, It's a good question. I like teaching. And I asked him, have you heard of the keyword golden ratio? I said, I've helped so many people and it feels great. And I could earn a lot more money, but I feel like I have enough. So why not help people? And you know what? I'm going to backtrack a little bit and and just mention the keyword golden ratio. Like that is a a thing that I was scared to share, right? I, I thought that was the most critical, most important piece of like the five figure niche site course and like a really valuable piece of content, a valuable concept where I thought that was like the thing that was so precious. But I kept hearing other people, people that were, you know, far advanced, uh, far ahead of me in their, you know, journey, whatever that journey is, they were saying whenever they shared um, something that was like their best piece of content, whenever they did something that was a little bit scary and they weren't sure, but they knew it was going to help a lot of people, hands down, always seemed to be a great decision to share information, right? The information wants to be, you know, free. It wants to be out there. So I was like, I'm going to do it and see what happens. And it is, it has been a great thing for me to do. Um, let me get back to what I wrote back. I said, yes, I could earn a ton more money, but I, I have enough. So why not help people? And I could have selfishly kept the keyword golden ratio a secret. Further, I now have a platform where people will listen to me, thus diversifying my business. And this is the deeper part that sometimes people don't mention. So um, the platform, Niche Site Project, um, like any, like I guess YouTube, this podcast, the platform that I've created also allows me to contact people and network with interesting folks that probably wouldn't respond to my email or pay attention to me at all if I didn't have um, a platform and an audience that trusts me, right? So I can literally email people and say, hey, do you want to be on my podcast? Do you want to be on the YouTube channel? I'd like to share your story with my audience. And some people say no, right? A lot of people say no. But I also have a lot of people who say yes, because I've spent the time to you know build a community and share information, right? And and part of that is the course, right? So the other thing is the platform allows me to contact those people. And there are a lot of pros to helping people which are better than more money. And, you know, I pretty much, I, I'm pretty comfortable with that, that answer there. I mean, it, number one, I like to help people. I like to teach. And one thing that I learned in the past is, that if you're able to, you know, you can learn a concept, right? You could study, you can read books, you could even, you know, in this case, create your own site. Um, basically, you could implement whatever you're learning, but you really go a deeper level of learning and understanding a concept, a material, a framework, whatever, if you could teach someone else to do it. And if you could teach a lot of other people to do it, 
uh, not only is that, uh, you know, part of the learning process for you, but it's sort of demonstrating your mastery of a concept, right? So, and I'm not saying I've mastered all the things that I'm teaching, but teaching other people is a great way to solidify the learning process for me, not just for the students or whoever is paying attention to, you know, what I'm teaching. So I think that is, you know, I guess that's part, part of, part of that is like, you really learn something well when you, when you write it down and you're trying to teach it, because when you write something down, it really solidifies. I mean, you're physically putting it on, um, paper or typing it out or something like that. And at that point you are really, um, able to look at those thoughts, look at the concepts and then evaluate it and edit it and then refine what you know. Um, further, you know, you don't even release that sort of, uh, intermediate, uh, you know, th- I guess it's, it's thinking on paper, right? When you write something down, you're, you're thinking it through, you're processing the ideas, the concepts. And when you actually teach it to someone else, that is uh, amazing, right? So I, I enjoy that. And as I've done more, it's it's been awesome. Uh, then the, the other part is the a- Amazon affiliate business model. And I, I've mentioned this uh, a, f- a few times, but I guess I don't talk about it as much because it's a little bit less interesting. People don't care that much. But the business model has some flaws, right? It has some flaws in a few areas, just like all business models do. But in this specific case, um, the traffic that goes to my sites is it's like 90 to 95% from Google. So I am definitely dependent on Google traffic. So if something happens to the Google traffic, that's bad. It really impacts the bottom line directly to the point where it's like the revenue can go uh, down by, you know, 90% overnight via an algorithm change, something like that, which is why I'm so conservative with my link building activity and just in general, just very conservative, want to stay on the good side of Google. On the other side of the equation, right? So one is the, uh, this is a supply and demand situation here. So um, on the money side of the equation is Amazon and their Amazon Associates program, which is fantastic. I obviously am a big fan of it, but they have a lot of power over the whole profit side of the equation, right? So if the commission rates are adjusted like they were in March of 2017, that can impact the bottom the bottom line. In fact, for me, it was a hit of about uh, 35%. Like uh, just, I looked at data for the, previous two years and basically uh, my effective commission rate dropped quite a bit. Luckily, you know, the, the levels are still great, so it's okay. But for me, it totally, you know, still makes sense to work with Amazon. There are a lot of other programs out there, but for me, the volume is good. So I stick with Amazon and it's just a low friction way for people to make purchases. Um, the other part is Amazon has very strict rules, which they outline in the operating agreement, which is freely available. They update it, um, you know, from time to time. The problem is, um, like many legal documents, which this is the operating agreement is literally a legal document. You end up, um, having a hard time 
<laughs> reading it and understanding what is going on. There are a few areas that are very common for people to make a mistake because of the common practices that are out there and just things that are, you know, air quotes, like things that are easy. People just don't pay attention to the rules, which, like I said, can be a little bit confusing, a little bit long-winded, and it's easy to, you know, make a mistake. And just as an aside, some of the common things that people make a mistake on are listing the prices without pulling the data from the API from Amazon. It's the Amazon Advertising API. You can pull a ton of data from it, and if you pull data from there, including images, prices, um, ratings, other information that's available, which I don't even know all the information that's available, but if you pull it via the API, that is okay. But if you say download images from Amazon and then resize it and then upload it to your WordPress installation, that is a violation of the operating agreement. Can you find examples of people operating like that without getting in trouble? Yes. Um, but you could also get kicked out really quickly by doing that. Um, and, and you can get kicked out of the program with very short notice um, by you know violating things. So let me come back to the point that we were talking about. And that is I am reliant in the Amazon affiliate business model on the traffic side from Google and the revenue side from Amazon. It is a fact of life, right? Um, even if I was working with another affiliate program, that could be a, an issue. If I was getting all my traffic from Facebook ads or something and Facebook changes you know, some piece of the equation or there's a lot more competitors in Facebook uh, running ads, that could also be an issue. So gotta remember that. Now, the Amazon side, also a little bit risky. Um, don't control the commission rate. Um, if I break, I mean, I should follow rules. Everyone should follow rules. But if I inadvertently make a mistake, that could be a problem. All right. So any business model has its flaws. And I can go into examples of that as well. The reason why I'm bringing that up is by having a course where I'm sharing knowledge. So one, uh, it's, it's fulfilling, right? I, I get to teach people. It's helping folks. And the other side of the equation is I control a lot of the situation there. So it's my own digital product, all right? So it's my own digital product. And profit margins are high on digital products. I don't physically have to ship anything out. I can um, create the product once do normal maintenance, do updating, which I do, and provide support, which is one of the highest value pieces that I provide. I provide support and answers and that sort of thing for any of the students. And that that is like one of the highest value pieces. I think I said that like four times, but you really want to emphasize that point. It's not just the material it is how the material fits together and it's the ability for someone to ask me a question and I take a few minutes. I can potentially go look at their site and give them direct feedback about the exact thing that they have questions on versus, you know, a generic answer that I can give on like a YouTube live stream, not super helpful for many reasons, but one of them is, you know, you can't ask a very detailed question in that format and I can't give you a very detailed answer. So you end up with some watered down version of, you know, help, right? It's a watered down version of help. So that is another reason I 
early on, I made a decision um, where some of my peers in my mastermind group, for example, they doubled down on building affiliate sites. And yes, they are making more money than me hand over fist. Um, they still have the same risk um, sort of areas that I mentioned. And I decided that I wanted to, for whatever reason, to have a platform to spend time on the blog, to spend time on teaching, creating courses, and to, I guess, branch out as far as a content uh, creator and someone who is, you know, I guess, putting my ideas out there so that they can either be, you know, shot down refined or maybe adopted. And it's probably, you know, a combination of those things, uh, probably leaning more (laughs) towards the fail point, but that's good, right? Because that means I'm sort of, I'm putting myself out there. Um, I'm putting my ideas out there and letting other people, you know, judge them, which is good feedback for me. Uh, you know, sometimes the internet could be a crazy place as you know. So sometimes, you know, the YouTube comments or something like that, not going to be, you know, constructive. I got one the other day and I think it just said, uh, it said yawn dot, 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 get to the point. Um, let's see the demo. And I'm like, man, it's it's free. You know, what do you want me to do? (laughs) It's free, man. If you want, if you want to get the commercials out or whatever, you could fast forward it even, you know? So anyway, it was actually a valid comment because I was kind of you know, just going on and on and on and on. So anyway, that's, uh, again, I think, uh, the guy's name was Victor. Victor, that was a, a great question. It totally makes sense. Um, actually I'm going to go on a little bit farther with this as well. So I, I told you the answer that, that I wrote back to Victor. The other thing is I learned like many people, I learned from people who had platforms, right? So I, I was really into um, Niche Pursuits, Spencer Hawes over there, who's still doing great stuff. In fact, I borrowed the Niche Site Project name from his Niche Site Project. I checked with him first. You know, I said, hey, is this cool if I do that? Um, I had the project management angle. So I felt like it fit together okay and kind of a catchy name. So Anyway, Spencer was good with it. Thank you for that, Spencer. Um, I loved his podcast, learned a ton from him and a lot of his guests that he had on. Smart Passive Income, Pat Flynn, I've mentioned Pat uh, many, many times. And, you know, he he was all over the place uh, when I was learning and he introduced me to so many different folks via his podcast and blog. So I learned a ton there. You got... Um, Brian Dean at Backlinko, you have Neil Patel at Quick Sprout, and I'm forgetting a lot of other people that I paid attention to as well. But it's kind of a, it's kind of a, I don't know what word, like a, a circular recursive situation here. Obviously, um, I'm going to be learning from people who have platforms, who are teaching stuff, who often have courses. So, sort of my role models when I got started were the people that were doing what I'm doing now. And generally they seem like a pretty good folks, right? They seem like pretty nice people. Um, some people are a little more salesy than others, but all the folks that I mentioned seem uh, legit. They have skills and chops and whatever it is they're teaching. Uh, often they're experts in like the high, sort of the high end side of 
the expertise for whatever field they're in. And they were teaching stuff. They were very good communicators. So I thought that seems great. I want to do that. And as I talked to you know, more of my students, as I interact with folks in the audience, a lot of people do have the idea, Hey, like I want to, you know, learn how to do this stuff. And then I want to share my story too, because I see other people sharing their story. So I, I literally did that exact thing and I'm assuming they had a similar path as well. So that, that is the other thing is just, that is the role model that I saw. And I just, emulated that, uh, in it sort of, I guess it felt good along the way. Otherwise I would have stopped doing it. Right. Um, the other piece that I want to mention is I know, let's see, let me think of the right way to say this. Um, so there are course creators that teach people how to do things, right? Uh, let me just make something up uh, for the example. We'll say social media management. And they, you know, it's a, it's a skill, right? It's a skill and maybe they are teaching people how to start their own like small agency. So maybe they do it on the side, you know, something people can get started with and then grow into a larger, you know, agency or whatever they want to do. Keep doing it on the side or whatever. The point is, I have seen many, many course creators where they're teaching a small thing where maybe they're only making, you know, say $500 a month, not enough to make a living from, but they know the pieces of how to, you know, teach it and they know how to market their course and they're making 10 times more. 50 times more from selling the course than they are from the core skill. Now, in the world of internet marketing, in the slimy, nasty world that I am working in, there are scammers out there who maybe they don't even know what the fuck they're doing, right? But they know how to create a course. It's super It's super easy to create a crappy course. Now, to have a, a course where it takes someone on a journey and they're transformed along the way, that is difficult to put together a course where you, where you regurgitate information that you literally can just hire some researchers to put together for you. Like that kind of course, you could do that pretty darn quick. You could even shoot a video, um, have the course materials and outlines created for you, right? Uh, you could just hire someone to do this research for you. It's very straightforward, not hard to put together a crappy course. And the, the point that I'm making is there are some people who literally teach something and let me, let me, let me delineate what I'm talking about. So there are some people who are teaching a valid thing like social media management, for example. So that is a valid thing. Maybe they are able to sell it for, you know, 200 bucks or something like that. And they're able to market it really well. And the course does take students through a transformation. It teaches them the skills and they are able to make whatever the promise is, say $500 per month or something like that, doing social media management, which I think is a doable thing, right? You probably could put that together uh, fairly effectively if you have, I guess, the drive to do it. Um, The point is, I think that is a valid 
thing to do, right? So the person knows how to um, do social media management. Um, He or she would know how to create the course. They would know how to market the course and they could provide support for the students. And they're making 10 times or 50 times or whatever selling a course versus like what they make with a core skill, all right? And I think that is valid too. However, in the world of internet marketing, it is a weird place where you can, I mean, you can end up with someone who actually doesn't know how to do the thing, teaching other people to do the thing that doesn't actually work because the initial material is flawed. They don't know how to create courses and that sort of thing. So that is the driver of why a lot of people would ask me that question. Hey, Doug, why don't you just create more sites and who cares about anybody else? Just make as much money as you can and fuck everyone else. Like I don't really operate like that. Um, but I guess a lot of other people are exposed to that in this, like I said, a little bit slimy internet marketing industry. And that is just, um, you know, part of, it's part of the, I guess, ecosystem of where I'm working, right? Um, and this is a choice that I made and I try and keep it on the on the up and up. I try and provide high-end services and then the rest of the stuff that I'm doing, um, a lot of it is just free. So, all right, so that was kind of a longer a longer rant and I kind of had the feeling that I would keep going and going after I got started. Quick aside before we get over to the asking questions and answers and all that stuff. Um, Yeah, this is totally an aside. Just moved, you know, and we had to get our licenses uh, transferred over. So that actually wasn't bad. There's a place that's only like half a mile away or so. And I mean, I walked by it when I walked the dog. So it's, it's super close. And actually it was very fast. We got there like right when they opened at 7 a.m. First people in line and we were out of there in, you know, 15 minutes or something. Pretty amazing. Pretty amazing. We had all the documentation that we needed. I mean, I usually go overboard these days after having some trouble at DMVs or driver's license kind of places where you don't have all the forms of ID that you need. So at this point, I just bring everything. I have like my social security card, my birth certificate, my previous license, a passport, several bills with my address on it. So they they really, (laughs) whatever they ask for, I have it. And then two other things as well. So pretty pretty well uh, taken care of there. But the other thing I have to do is get my truck uh, registration. So that's a few more steps, which I didn't realize. Um, in Montana, the population's a little smaller, actually quite a bit smaller, only about a million people in the whole state. And they're more relaxed as far as like emissions. So here in the Denver area, there's a lot of cars, there's a lot of people and they want to make sure the cars are running in a clean fashion. So um, you have to get emissions done. Um, I think it's every two years. I, I haven't quite learned that, but I do have to get emissions done. And I also need to get my VIN number verified, which I guess I can do that at the emissions office as well. And then of course, after that, I have to go to the DMV to get the paperwork done. Luckily, they give you 90 days to do that, and um, I should be able to get it taken care of in, you know, like 33 days or something like that. We're, we're like 30 days in here, but um, yeah, 
it's just fun. <laughs> and, uh, well, it's not really fun. It's just one of those things you got to do when you move. So I'm like scouring the DMV website. But I will tell you, working for myself and having a lot of flexibility and free time, I can avoid um, the rush. You know, I don't have to go during lunchtime. I don't have to wait for, um, you know, a weekend or whatever. I can go during the week in the morning on maybe a rainy day, kind of like today is rare rainy day here in the the Colorado area. And basically I could just roll up and do what I got to do and get out quickly. So that is one of the great luxuries to have this sort of flexibility. And, you know, I guess I've been lucky for a long time because I worked remotely even with my corporate job and had the ability to do this sort of thing, grocery shopping in the middle of the day or whatever. So, okay, let's get to this question things. Uh, question thing, that is. So finding answers when you have questions. And this hits home because of a few reasons. Number one, I love it when you send me questions. It is a bit overwhelming when they come to my email account. Um, and it, it took me a few years to figure out how to take care of this without being overwhelmed. So I've actually, I set up multiple email accounts. One of them is, you know, mainly for questions. If you want to send questions for the podcast though, this is, this is a little bit easier. There's not as many people that send emails to this one. It's feedback at doug.show feedback at doug.show. And I also have a voicemail line. No one's left me a message yet. So that makes me sad, but check out the show notes in description and I'll leave the number in there. You should be able to just tap it on your phone and make the call. Leave me a message. If it's a good one, I'll play it on the air. So, okay. So finding answers when you have questions and I just want to, I want to help people to ask better questions and to also find answers on your own. Cause I think that is a similar quality from people that I've seen that are successful um, either they can find answers to questions on their own if they if the question and the answer or sorry if the answer is available they could figure it out and then if they need help they can ask a good question and all this is going to fall into place once I get going here so let me tell you a story um, this was back when I was taking a CS that's computer science class at Georgia Tech the Georgia Institute of Technology. And this class was on operating systems. I have a computer engineering degree, but it's sort of a a blend of computer science courses and double E electrical engineering courses. And then a few of, you know, computer engineering classes, but there's tons of overlap. And a lot of people that, um, especially on the double E side, they usually can code because you kind of have to get into that stuff um, at some point. Anyway, So anyway, I was taking this class and there was a professor who had a pretty tough reputation and he was, um, I don't know, he was sort of a long haired hippie looking guy. Um, I guess you could kind of imagine if, if any of the audience, any of you know what these professors were like, um, I guess in the late nineties and early two thousands, I mean, he's teaching an operating systems CS class. So interesting guy. And I don't remember much from the class, actually very little from the class, 
But uh, this guy, Professor Greenlee, I think that was his name. I actually looked it up um, in preparation, found him on LinkedIn. But he taught me something even more important. So I, I really don't remember much of the coursework at all. But this is what he told us on the first day. He was like, uh, here's the order of operations to find answers to questions. So number one, you can try to find the answer yourself and exhaust all of your resources. So in this you know, context, it's like check your textbook, look at your notes, try to look up the answer on a news group. That was a thing back then. Nowadays, you have so many resources. You can check out Wikipedia. There are forums. There's user guides. There's customer support and so on. And basically, there's almost unlimited information at your fingertips now with Google and the internet just in general. Next, right? So if you can't find the answer on your own, you can go to your peers and friends. So Greenlee, he told us to check with our classmates, check with our study group or whatever, and maybe a person that lived in your dorm that was like a couple years ahead of you or something. Basically, try to check with other people that are roughly your peers, right? Roughly your peers. The next step, so this is number three in the order of operations, you could ask the TAs. Those are teaching assistants, and that's like pretty typical in those in those classes. Usually there's a TA involved. A lot of times there's multiple office hours. And I was a um I was a I'm a good student, <laughs> but I was challenged very, very much in college. It took me about uh six and a half plus years. I dropped classes I failed one or two, you know, but I was a good student as far as using my resources, right? So I was good at using my resources such as the TAs and the office hours. So a lot of times there's plenty of office hours and the TAs, of course, took the class before you. They were experienced. They generally knew what the hell was going on and they generally knew the answers. Not always though. Um, every now and then you would run across a TA who took the class the previous term, the previous quarter or semester or whatever. And they were just a little bit ahead of you, which has some value, right? Because they can understand the challenges and the confusion that you may have versus if you've ever asked an expert a question, sometimes they have a hard time conveying the information because it's been so long since they were a beginner. The point is, um, You could ask them too. They're a little bit more ahead of you. And in fact, they have sort of an official capacity. And then before you ask Greenlee, right? Before you go to his office hours and bug him, (laughs) he said to check with your deity of choice. And this is sort of like where it hammers home, like really try to find the answer. So it was a joke, of course, but you really got to put the time in, right? You got to put the time in, maybe even sleep on it if you have the, you know, the time, but sleep on it, think about the question and the answer, and sometimes you'll have sort of a fresh look at it the next day. Maybe the TA can help you or your peers or whatever. So, conversation is part of the whole thing. Check with your deity of choice was Greenlee's point um, because he didn't want to be bothered with questions really. And and by the way, I'm, I'm only mentioning this to help you find 
answers to questions. I want you to send me questions because I need them for this content on the podcast and on YouTube. So please send me questions. Um, I have probably thousands of them all queued up, um, but I'm always looking for new ones. So, okay. Finally, the order of operations. Task really a question, Greenly. So if and only if you tried the previous four steps and you didn't find the answer, that is when you are able to go ask Greenly the question during his office hours so that he would, you know, respect you. Now, the thing is, (laughs) the thing is, it sounds like he didn't want to answer our questions. Um, But that's not true. He just wanted to teach us, you know, number one, what I'm trying to teach you now, that is to use your resources, right? There's tons of resources to find the answer to a lot of these questions here. Um, and it's, I mean, this is slightly amusing. It's a guide to find answers on your own. And like I mentioned before, I believe it's definitely a trait that's common among successful people. And Three things happen when you try to figure things out on your own. So number one, you're probably not going to forget the answer. If you spent time trying to figure something out, you did research and maybe not all the dots were connected and you had to connect a few on your own, you won't forget the answer. You're probably going to understand it a little bit more. That's number two, I guess. I'm getting ahead of myself. You're going to understand the whys and the hows and the principles behind the answer and the concepts or whatever it is you're looking up. So you'll have a deeper understanding. And then number three, the most important part is if you didn't figure out the answer and you do have to you know, seek outside help, I would say 100% of the time, you're going to ask way better questions that are more informed. And whoever you ask, um, whomever you ask, I guess, they will be able to tell that you did research on your own. In fact, it's great if you mention that too. Hey, I tried to look up X, Y, and Z. I found this information here. And while that partially makes sense, of course, this is just a generic um, example. Um, while part of the explanation makes sense. I don't understand how these two pieces fit together. Um, And then you could ask the question from there. And by demonstrating that you put a lot of time in, right? You put time in, you did research. um, That's huge, right? Effort is huge. And then if you're coming with an idea, it's showing that you're connecting things, right? Or multiple ideas. It's really demonstrating that you are interested and you're interested in learning on a deeper level and the person that you ask is probably going to be more willing to give you um, a well thought out answer versus if you ask a question that you could easily look up on your own, um, it's going to be, you know, less, what word am I looking for? What, how, how does that feel? Right. It's like, uh, it's like the person was a little bit lazy because they didn't look it up on their own. Uh, literally, you know, there's some stuff you can like ask Siri or Google, like super straightforward, you know? So, all right. The other, the other thing around this is asking better questions, 
obviously very related to what I was just ranting about there. So some people will tell you that there are no dumb questions. Now, I don't know if I agree 100% with that, but the context is obviously very important. So let's say I am at an event or I'm at a restaurant or something and I have a chance to meet Tim Ferriss and chat with him for two minutes. It would be really silly for me to ask him advice on how to write a book in that context. There's not really enough time for him to tell me anything helpful or meaningful. Um, And well, honestly, he's covered that stuff a lot of times all over the place. So it would kind of be a dumb question as well. All right. So to my point, I don't know if there are, I don't know if it's true that there are no dumb questions. I think there are dumb questions. Um, So instead of Tim Ferriss, let's say I have a chance to meet a former president uh, of the United States. And it would be silly to ask the president, this is a kind of extreme example, but it would be really dumb if I asked the president what years he was president. Um, So I could just look up the answer really easily um, in like a second. Again, that, that's one I can probably ask Siri or Google about or Alexa or what, whatever app you're using, you know. But the point is, if you could ask some good questions, you're probably going to get better answers, number one. And if you feel like maybe you don't ask good questions right now, it's a skill like anything else. And you can definitely develop that skill by practicing it. And I think if you really... If you really, you know, do the research that I mentioned before, of course, the Greenlee example was a little extreme, but if you do some of that preliminary research, exhaust your own resources that you have available, then you'll be able to ask better questions just inherently. I mean, you probably will find a lot of the answers on your own. Um, And I'm going to go a little bit deeper here. So... I'll cover like a couple, I guess, issues that I've seen with questions that I guess people ask me often, right? So I won't even give any exact examples, but I think you could probably imagine. Um, So one issue a lot of times with questions is there's too many variables variables involved. So some questions are hard hard or maybe even impossible to answer because there's just too many factors, too many variables involved. So it's like predicting the weather. Sometimes um, it's going to be way off and you can give your best guess, but at the end of the day, it's not really um, a a good question to ask because there's just too many variables. Now, maybe the Obviously, the weather is maybe slightly more accurate, but there are definitely times where the uh, meteorologist is way off. In fact, uh, my wife thinks it's hilarious when I rant about the uh, the weathermen out there. <laughs> so um, I guess for those areas, that for those questions that do have too many variables, and you know what, I will use an example. So in the context of like, an affiliate site and ranking on Google. Someone may ask, um, my, my site has, you know, 20 pieces of content. It is one year old. I have 25 backlinks from guest posts that I've gotten and it's not ranking number one. 
what do you think's wrong with it? Well, I have no clue, right? There's hundreds of factors that it could be. And there's no, I could speculate on some of the most common ones, but when it comes down to it, it's not a very helpful answer to you. Um, again, I could tell you the most common stuff, but it's, it's going to give you maybe a place to start, but there's just too many variables because it could be, you know, something completely different than what I mentioned. Uh, and then it makes it look like, I don't know what I'm talking about. Um, so, and I guess a lot of questions that I do see are kind of similar to that. The, I mean, the way that you have to figure that stuff out is to have someone like audit your site and go through the process of figuring that stuff out. Now, the other, you know, kind of question that I see often, which may be less common with some other folks, depending on what they're working on is getting permission. So these are questions where people just want reassurance about something before they take action or eh, even like maybe they've already taken a little bit of action, um, but they're, they're just trying to get reassurance on it. So for the reassurance questions, honestly, I usually just people, I tell people to go for it. So if you're thinking about trying something, go ahead and do it. And most things are like not irreversible or going to cause some huge consequence. So you could try it out and you're going to be okay. It's going to be okay. And either it's going to work and you're going to be validated. You will have more confidence in the future or it's not going to work. And then you will know what not to try, which is still valuable. All right. It's still valuable. Now, of course, you can get into a little trouble there uh, when it's something where there's tons of variables, right? And you fail, you may not know what variable you screwed up on. So at that point, you know, maybe you do seek help, right? You seek some answers from someone who knows a little bit more than you on this specific topic, I guess. Um, and then further, if you have to ask for permission to get approval from someone, then I generally recommend, this is hard to do, but I recommend that you get comfortable with being uncomfortable. A lot of entrepreneurship is making decisions with incomplete data, all right? So you're basically never going to have enough data. And this is this is similar to the, the weatherman, right? The meteorologist, weatherman or weatherwoman, you know, got to include everybody here. But the point is, they have, uh, you know, they have all these data models, they have tons of data, way more data than they used to have. And they still make mistakes. There's still like issues with predicting the weather, so that you end up getting well, this happened in Bozeman all the time, they would say that we were going to get like two inches of snow, and then we would get like eight. So there's a lot of variables and up, up there, a lot of it had to do with what number one, you got the mountains, but then you also have varying elevations, um, as well as, you know, flat, you get the flatlands, the prairie, prairie lands, you got valleys, you got significant mountains that impact, uh, the trajectory of the, the weather and where it's going to, where it's going to flow. But the point is, um, they have tons of data. They knew it was going to snow, but the difference between two and eight inches is pretty significant. And it happened pretty often. Um, in fact, there were, we figured out that I guess the area that we were in, in our neighborhood, we would end up getting more snow than they predicted 
most of the time. I don't know if it was a little bit colder there or we just happened to be closer to the mountains or whatever. But anyway, that's my rant on asking questions, finding answers. And I think the whole, if I just had to summarize it, I would emphasize the value in trying to find answers for yourself, even when you think you've exhausted your resources, continue looking a little bit more. Um, You will find that the answer may be right under your nose, but you are too close to it and you just needed to look a little bit harder, maybe take a little time away and then um, continue to, to look for that answer. If you don't find it, that is okay. When you do take it to an expert or someone more experienced or peers or whoever, you will come with better questions, more information and data for the conversation of the answer. So even if your peers don't know the answer, then you all can have a more intelligent conversation with more information than if you didn't do any research and you just rolled up with uh, nothing. So, all right, that's the show for today. Don't forget, you can leave voicemails. You can send emails, ask questions. You can ask questions, even though I was ranting there for a second. I want to help you, right? I want to help you find answers. I want to help you ask better questions. Um, But you can send me questions. You can send me whatever you want. I obviously filter things. And uh, if it's a very beginner question, um, it may not make it on the show, but... Here's the, here's the other realization that I have as someone who is trying to help people going back, tying the whole thing together. Um, a lot of people have all the questions, like whatever question you have, there's probably dozens of other people that have like asked it or are thinking about it and they're too shy to ask. So you can send me your questions, you know, send me the questions. You got feedback at doug.show. You got the voicemail. Um, again, that'll be in the description. So feel free to ask me questions and tell someone about the show. Tell someone either about this show, the Doug show, or if they like YouTube and a lot of people like YouTube, sometimes I've heard that people watch while they're commuting home. Hopefully they're just listening. I don't, I don't have a car that does that kind of stuff, you know, but, um, you know, everyone drives safe out there, drive safe and we'll catch you next time. Thank you so much for listening to The Doug Show. I really do appreciate it. I mean, I'm just sitting here at my computer recording stuff and uh, you're listening to it. And I think that's awesome. If you enjoy the show and you know someone who maybe would be interested in it, please let them know. I think it would be fantastic if you help spread the word. If you are not signed up for the Niche Site Project email list, well, you're in luck. All you have to do is go to nichesiteproject.com, click the green button, enter your name and email address, and I'll send you a bunch of cool stuff about affiliate marketing, productivity, including all my templates. If you happen to not be subscribed to this podcast, please do subscribe. And don't forget, I welcome your questions. So you could send uh, your emails to feedback at doug.show. I got that really cool domain, doug.show, that's it. So feedback at doug.show. Or I'm going to leave my voicemail number in the show notes. So all you have to do is give me a buzz, leave a voicemail, and then I'll potentially put you on the air. So looking forward to it and we'll catch you next time.